0: Welcome to Pressing On, a podcast where we will be looking into truths for guys and women, because 90% of our listeners listen in, as we live on this journey of life. It's warm now here in Cleveland, Ohio, and I'm your host, Scott Lessing, prison campus pastor at Grace Church in Middleburg Heights, where we have three locations in Northeast Ohio, Middleburg Heights, Olmsted Falls, and our newest campus, our prison campus, at Lorraine Correctional in Grafton, Ohio. Pressing on us for guys who want to go deeper as we seek God, all the while finding practical insights to live differently. We will look into real life and talk through how to grow while becoming an improved version of ourselves. Now, I want to tell you about our friends who believe in what we're doing, and they want to encourage our listeners with some amazing coffee. Last month, we did not have a giveaway. We need some listeners to... To send us an email, because we have coffee waiting for you. So we have two pounds of coffee to give away this month, Jordy. And Black and Coffee is our micro-batch roasting company based here in Cleveland. Black Birdie and Coffee uses high-quality fair-trade beans from farms and importers that treat their workers with respect. Now, we also know the owners and the roaster of this company, Sarah Stumbo. Yep. Sarah's awesome. She is. And she's funny. You don't think so? uh I'm just kidding. (laughs) Sarah, I think you're funny. And to win a free bag of coffee from Black Burning Coffee for our listeners, just simply email us at pressingon at grayscma.org. And you also get 15% off every order the entire year. If you go to blackburningcoffee.com, you can check that out in the notes and just put in 15% to receive your 15% off every single order.
1: Awesome. This week's topic is cross-cultural leadership. Perhaps maybe sometimes you are leading and you feel like, oh, these people I'm leading, they're not like me. They're different. Maybe they're from a different generation or different background. And a lot of times it can almost be as though you're dealing with a foreign people. So we thought we'd bring in an expert on cross-cultural leadership, someone who literally leads internationally. And so we have Kier and Joanna Thelander here. Super excited to be with you guys. Hi, Joanna. Hey there. Hello, Kier.
2: Hey, good to be here.
1: And so Kier works at an organization called PAX. Joanna, would you tell us what PAX is and what Kier's role at PAX? Oh,
2: that's is awesome. As well?
3: Absolutely. So PAX stands for Pan African Academy of Christian Surgeons, and it is a program that is training and discipling Christian African doctors teaching them how to be surgeons. So it is uh, a five-year training program and there are hospitals and um, training programs all over Africa.
1: Love it, love it, very cool. Well, obviously gonna be an expert on this topic. Scott, would you kick us off with the first question?
0: Yeah, I think it's really important when we have any topic like this that we kind of set the stage uh, that we can always point back to and kind of set some definitions, define what leadership is. And so, Kier, if you can start us off, and let's wrestle through a little bit. What, what is leadership? And we're going to use that as our platform as we talk about cross-cultural leadership today.
2: Yeah, thanks, Scott. I think, you know, I think one of my, my favorite definitions of leadership actually goes back to the Latin, right? It goes way, way back. And in, in the Latin root, what lead actually means is to go forth and die. I don't like leadership. Yeah, most people wouldn't sign up for that. <laughs> but if you think about it, you're leading out in some sort of uh, uh, war or some sort of battle. That person who's leading, going out first, mm-hmm. that's how you would get the definition of leadership. They're leading, and yeah, they're going to die. They were the first ones out there. So if if you're really ready to go forth and die, that's what leadership is.
0: So that that wow. changes the whole tune, the whole tone, really, of leadership, right, Joanna? I mean, now there's there's humility in that. There's... Okay, I I'm 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 setting the the stage to help everyone behind me and I may not be here at the celebration when we get to the end.
3: Absolutely. And I think sometimes we've heard it said and and felt it ourselves leadership is lonely and it's often lonely mm. because who wants to be the only one that's out there who wants to be the one with all these followers and that who is the one that's willing to put themselves out there and go forth and die.
0: Now, now, Kira, you're the medical director of PAX, right? And so you help set the the vision and some other things for the whole organization. Uh, you're not you're not the CEO, but you're the medical director. So you but you help influence that, and you also give that vision to all the other directors on the field right in, in all the other countries in africa can you tell us a little bit about the importance of vision and you know how that helps you with you know coordinating the team and and making changes and innovations as you develop people
2: yeah i think that vision is really what keeps you on on task it keeps you on mission for us specifically if we don't come back to our mission statement and our vision statement as a leader if you're not messaging the mission and vision then you're gonna have people going in all kinds of different directions. Uh, you know, often we can think of leadership and I, you know, it's a surgical organization. If anybody knows a surgeon, they probably know somebody who's pretty strong-willed and pretty determined. That's what a lot of surgeons are. So sometimes I think about my role in leading them is like herding cats. Um, <laughs> they kind of have their own directions, but if you can cast that vision and mission, then really you can bring people back into, okay, yeah, that's a great thing, but this is what we're here for. Yeah, that's okay. You can do that on some other time, but what we're here to do is training and discipleship. That's what it looks like in the organization that I'm a part of is leading to say, this is the vision. This is the mission. I do want to say one thing about leadership as well, and that it is not, sometimes it's good to define something by what it's not, it is not management.
0: Mm. Yeah, can you define the difference between management and leadership, then?
2: Yeah, so so management, if we take just the definition of management, so I took lead as the to go forth and die, right? So if we take management, um, if you look up the dictionary definition, number one will say it's the process of dealing with or controlling things or people. I don't know, do we think really positively about the idea of controlling? No way. But I like the number two definition even better because the number two says it's management is trickery or deceit. Hmm. I don't think that's really what we want to do when we're when we're caring for people or leading them. Right. can say that in a similar manner, caring and leading them. It's not about trickery and deceit or getting them to do what you want them to do. One other way to think about leadership is enabling or building into other leaders, so future leaders. Hmm. It's not just about you getting some task accomplished. It's about regenerating yourself or reforming yourself in someone else and leading them. It's 2 Timothy 2.2. These things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses teach to able people who are also able to teach others. Mm-hmm. So it's duplicating yourself or training others. That's what leadership is, training other leaders and so i have that opportunity cross-culturally a number of our program directors are african Uh, some of them are western some are from uk or australia or the us and some of them are kenyan or maybe they're tanzanian Hmm. and so the way that leadership is viewed and how we interact and what a follower is supposed to be and what a leader is supposed to do can be a bit different Um, i'll give one example from my from my experience and when we lived in gabon we were there for 10 years on the west coast of africa I was leading my residents at that time. I didn't have other faculty that I was leading of significance at this specific moment. I had a couple of faculty, uh, but I was, I was really discussing with my residents about some decision that we needed to make. And I did the good thing. I did my, my preparation, and I came with some ideas and said, all right, let's discuss these ideas. And it was absolute silence in the room. Hmm. Absolute silence. Nobody said anything. <laughs> I thought, what is wrong? Are these bad ideas? What's, what is going on? What did, how did I, What is going on here? So afterwards of a lot of awkward silence afterwards one of the residents came to me who was a good confidant of mine It was a senior resident he said uh, Dr Kier said yeah uh, what what happened there he said well you know for our culture when the leader says their ideas the conversation is over wow i said really it's over yeah it's over because once you've spoken who, no one can disagree with you you're wow. the leader you're the boss so I changed my way of leader, of leadership with them, with my residents and saying, here's the issue to discuss. What do you guys think? It's my decision. I'm going to make it, but I need to hear your thoughts first. Then I would hear them. Then I would say, okay, I've heard everyone. This is what we're going to do. And that worked out a lot better.
0: Well, and that's, that's humility. You had to change some of your ways, right? And, and part of that is painful. Uh, it maybe even lines up with the, the definition of leadership where some things in mm. us have to die as we yeah. lead cross-culturally. Uh, how did Jesus, what What would you guys say, um, the example of Jesus and his leadership, how did he set the example for us?
2: That's a great question about, about Jesus' leadership. I, you know, being the perfect human that he was, he did it in all kinds of different ways. He used all kinds of different leadership styles during his time here on earth. And and what we know during his three years of ministry that were intense uh, is he led in ways that were collaborative. He led in ways that were, we could say, dictatorial. That sounds terrible, but it's not really, especially when you're the son of God. It's not bad. (laughs) Um, And you know what the right thing is. And he led in ways that were um, engaging, so people would give their input and then he would make a decision or they would make a decision as a group, kind of the collaborative idea um he he led in ways where he listened or even deferred to other people at certain times it seemed like of course he knew who he could defer to he was god uh, so he could do that so there's there's examples of all kinds of different styles of leadership in the way that he led but i'll come back to the way we started i think the most important aspect of his leadership was that he ended up dying for all of us mm. and so his mm. that idea of leadership of going forth and dying he did it he set the example
0: that's really amazing yes
2: good
1: That's good. I was thinking of how, like, with Jesus, it came to, you know, there's times where he would like, all right, so I know that it's not really cool in my society. I've got these Pharisees who they kind of set the religious temperature and what's in and what's out, what you can and can't do, but they're going to go ahead. And he's like, I'm going to meet with tax collectors and hang out with sinners, and I'm going to associate with women and the Samaritans and things like that. And so he didn't just conform to expectations, it's like I'm Within gonna, the culture, yeah, I'm gonna do what's right versus what is in, and I think that's re- was really profound. But at the same time, I think he knew what people could handle. Like when he revealed who he truly was to his disciples in Matthew 16:20, he turned around and said, "Tell no one." And right, his it wasn't like, oh, this is a secret. Like eventually, he said, "Go and tell the world." Right, right yeah, but. In that moment, he's like, right now, they will not be ready for the full revelation of what I have. And I think sometimes as leaders, we might have a vision for where things are going, but the world isn't ready for exactly exact clarity or the full scope of that and so you have to know like how much to challenge someone in a given moment how much expectation to put on them it might not be the end destination but you might have to kind of find some middle ground sometimes
0: and one of the other things that jesus was really good at i just listened to a podcast by craig rochelle it was actually one of our uh, staff um, podcasts that we listened to and he said that timing is everything. That's one of his key components in leadership is timing is everything. And Jesus was so perfect in his timing. Obviously, he knew what people could and couldn't handle, but he also knew that timing was really important for what was next, right? He didn't have to download everything all at the same time. Well, Kier, one of the things that you and I talked about as we were preparing for this is that um, leadership is all about relationship. And Joanna, I want to I wanna ta- ask you a few questions about relationships, I love your stories when you guys were in Gabon your stories with some not only some of the other women from that culture but also the stories of when families would come over and they would serve as a family or as a team husband and wife and you got to do a lot with some of those families outside of the medical stuff right you would Mm -hmm. take them to the market and other things and you were able to lead them and learning about the different cultures. Can you just tell us a little bit about that, what it was like for you and your leadership?
3: Sure. Uh, yeah, like you said, when different uh, teams would come over and certainly if they were not medical, they sometimes didn't have as much to do in the operating room. So if it were my regular day to go into store, this little teeny tiny village called Labamba, I would say, okay, we're gonna go this day and this time. Picked him up and uh, explained all along the way so maybe a 12, 15-minute bumpy ride to get to this little market area. Which like
0: throw-up bumpy or like uh, just it potholes would on the in season. Cleveland? Y- yes, throw-up bumpy. Okay.
3: <laughs> it was a bad road. It was a bad road. And there would be a lot of negotiating that would have to take place at the market. And Gabon, where we lived, was French-speaking. And most people, most visitors, didn't speak French. So I was then the translator, which adds another sort of layer on top of just the regular, we're going shopping for eggs and avocados and bananas and pineapples. Uh, It was very interesting, their perspective on um, living cross-culturally and what that looks like. And then leading them through the market, you're walking over chicken poop and goat poop and there's women asking if you wanna buy their avocados. And I know what I'm focused on. And if we needed eggs, then we'd go to the particular store that would have eggs. More than likely, they would be there, though not always. And we would do our egg shopping, and then we'd go to the next door and we'd buy the bread. And uh, So it was an absolute um, privilege and honor to be able to have these visitors, these short-term missionaries, come and lead them through the market through sort of an everyday, regular life for us, which was was way out of our comfort zone before we moved there but then after once we were there for 10 years it became kind of a normal thing to have cockroaches in the eggs and that kind of thing so leading through every Whoa, day wait,
0: can I ask a question can I stop just for a second I've never heard that story I've known you guys for many years I never knew that cockroaches were in the eggs like like in the eggs like like once you prepare them no
3: not inside sometimes they were black and not not super good. But Uh, in the egg carton itself.
0: Oh, okay. So So not like after you cracked it and you whisked it?
3: No, but the trick would be you'd go to the store, you'd put the eggs in the car, and then if our kids were along, they would kill the cockroaches that would then start to scatter onto the car in the seats, and then we would come home and put them in the middle of the kitchen floor in order to crush more cockroaches so that the cockroaches won't come out of our cupboards and, you know, keep reproducing in our kitchen
0: that that sounds painful yeah a little gross um it sounds like dying a little bit to me um that would be a really we've talked many many times about this that it would be very hard for most people to go and do that for 10 years
3: and i will say yes it Mm -hmm. it it would be very hard and it was very hard Mm. what we're always telling people is the heat the humidity the bugs the snakes that's not anything that we we're used to, that we enjoyed, that we loved. But God was there, God called us, and so off we went.
1: Yeah. I'm curious. So you, you know, you're appointed to a position and you're in leadership and you're dealing with people with different expectations, different values, but you have vision. What's that line of being an adaptive leader versus a overly compromising leader? How do you Mm. navigate that?
2: Yeah, fabulous question, Jordy. I, I I was just actually thinking about that idea of responding to those who are following you. Hmm. So part of that aspect, is, as you mentioned, uh, Scott, was the relationship aspect. So relationship to, to God, but your relationship to those you're leading and their relationship to you, and then your relationship to your leader as well. So there's multiple relationships here yeah. that all have different personalities to them. And so when you're looking at the people that you're leading, knowing them and their personalities is extremely important. Some of my people that I lead know, they need to know six months in advance. Others that I lead, I know they're not gonna plan until the month before. So I don't worry about pursuing them to introduce some new topic. Yeah, Usually it's, and when you think of leading, it's rolling out a new topic, a vision, right? When you're casting a vision, it's rolling out something new. And it we, we sometimes as leaders think, well, I've been thinking about this for six months or a year. I know the right answer. Boom, this is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Well, that is a shock to everyone that you're leading. Yeah. And the way that you can lead, and it's different for everybody, is you start to slowly introduce these ideas. Hmm. And it's for those who are a different personality, you don't want to force them to become like you they need to be a part of the team and their personality that's what bring they that's how they bring value to the team mm-hmm. it's how they bring value to you as you're leading into the organization or to whatever task you're trying to accomplish whatever it is but to slowly bring it roll out those new visions it allows people to have buy-in otherwise you're going to get pushback still may get some pushback and it also allows you to address those issues over time rather than in a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. And so when someone, you may have five people you're leading, four of them may be pushing back. Well, you can do that over the course of six months if you're rolling something out slowly. If you're trying to do it right now, you may have to address all of those issues in three days.
0: Well, and and that, that's, that's very fatiguing. That's 2 Timothy where you're making disciples over four mm-hmm. generations, right? Over yeah. a lot of time versus cloning people mm-hmm. to be just like you and just do what I do, just do what I say and don't ask any questions. There's a big difference between the two.
2: Hmm. Well said, yeah, there is.
0: Well, how about, where does humility fall into this type of leadership? And I would love to hear from both of you on this because you both, I mean, you guys have kids, you both have leadership roles. Joanna, you have a leadership role here at Grace Church. Uh, Kier, you have a leadership role at PAX. How, How have you seen humility done well and you could maybe even talk about each other, about how you guys have seen the other person really lead well with humility, um, or maybe in someone else, you know, another leader that you've been around, either here at Grace or at PAX or over in Gabon or somewhere else in Africa that you've been.
3: So when we were living in Gabon, uh, Kier was teaching a Bible study along with a few others uh, that met typically on Sunday evenings. And... This ties in with humility and cross-cultural leadership. I think as a leader, accepting uh, questions and accepting that maybe we don't understand everything that's going on, especially cross-culturally. So my example and story is a friend of ours that was in this Bible study that we met weekly, came up to me one day after we had gotten to know him maybe a year or two. And he said, Mama Joanna, because everybody's mama over there, mama or papa (laughs) or doctor, and Mama Joanna, I have a question for you. I said, sure. What's your question? And he said, why do you look at your husband when he's leading the Bible study?
0: Hmm.
3: And I didn't have an answer except to explain that's just what we do. And... In their culture, he's from Democratic Republic of Congo, it's not culturally the norm to look at somebody when they're speaking. You typically look at the ground, especially somebody who's in authority over you. You're not looking eye to eye, you're not making eye contact. So that was a way that taught me here's something. Now, having said that, it wasn't inappropriate for me to be looking at my husband when he is leading a Bible study, but the humility I think was being open to a new way and understanding better than why very few others would be looking at Kier while he was speaking.
0: So, going forward from that, would you, you know, years after that, were you, would you look at Kier when he would teach or would you follow the culture and would you look down?
3: I, I looked at Kier. Okay. And I, I think because it wasn't uh, immoral, it wasn't unbiblical, it wasn't illegal, it was just a, a difference in the culture, and and this friend understood better now why I was looking at him or turning my head, and it was a good conversation. And he was, was okay, okay was, with it. He was okay with it. He it just, wasn't
0: like you were u- upsetting him no. by not looking down.
3: No, I don't think so. I don't think he was upset. He was just curious about it. Hmm.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. It's really interesting, the tension of all of that. But even, even over here, you know, I think of generationally, like I look at leaders and ways of thinking, and I just think, why does it have to be that way? And to, and to not just assume, like, well, everyone needs to get on board, even if you're right on something, like, you know, you're like, in your case, you know, it's like, I I can look at my husband, like, you know, you're right. But still, to sit down and say, "Oh, you know, tell me what you think," and to learn, I'm sure he felt heard, which is important and probably helped him tolerate your differences a Mm -hmm. little more.
3: Exactly.
0: I know in prison, when any most of the inmates, when they address me and they've never met me before, they'll call me sir. Right. It's a very, you know, um, uh, it's very similar to the military, right? Where where they're looking at me as a leader in that community and so they immediately call me sir and i say no no no, you don't you can just call me scott or you can call me pastor scott and they say okay are you sure and yeah of of course yeah and so then weeks after that then they start you know calling me scott or pastor scott but initially it's that they're they're trying to be humble and be respectful to authority quote unquote and um, you know, in this system, in this community. So, uh, Kier how about you? Any any examples you can give us of someone who you've seen, you know, lead really well? They lead with humility.
2: Yeah, there's one that that one aspect that really comes to mind just right off, and it's a it's a colleague of mine that when he would be having a full day, and usually on the surgical side, you're going to say we got to get all this done, and you're going to be very dictatorial tell people what to do and all that and his approach is very different he would for example come into the operating room where the team is getting ready thinking that they probably should be ready by now but no one's gone to get the patient yet so you can't start when you don't have a patient (laughs) and he would say things like now i i don't see any reason why we can't go get the patient what do you think and so he was engaging them in the in the process Rather than doing the process alone as the leader, he engaged the people that were following him or that he was supposed to be leading in the process, which gave them buy-in. It gave them an opportunity to speak. Also, like you said before, Jordy, they were heard. And if they wanted to be heard, they could say, well, no, we're not quite ready. It wasn't, well, let's go get this patient. It was, hey, is there any reason why we can't? And then it brings them to the same conclusion that the leader had already made. It's the same thing I'd mentioned before. It's the idea of being slow to roll out the ideas and not forcing it right at the moment. Um, the other aspect, I think, in humility, leading in humility, is something of this concept I've heard before of living with the tension. So, unfortunately, we often as leaders think that we have to solve every issue, hmm. and that's just not true. But if it were true, then when solving those issues, what that does is it puts us in that position of superiority because we're the solver for everything. And if we can allow the tension to be there not feel that pressure to solve everything, although sometimes there is an urgency and you have to solve the problem, but often it's not so urgent. You can let it sit a little bit. Then you're not everyone's answer. And when you're not everyone's answer, now you're leading a team rather than, being a manager and having to do everything yourself. Mm.
1: Yeah, it's a good thought. I I think it's it's not super intuitive what you're saying because when you get a role as a leader, it's typically because you performed well. Mm. And so I think you come into a position, at least in our culture, you come into a position thinking, all right, I better perform really well in this role versus i'm going to invest and direct people and shape culture and those things that are more inclusive of the mm. people that are under you. You know I think you think more of I'm going to do my job well and I'm going to tell other people to do j- their job well.
0: You know, I remember you were talking about the tension, living in that tension, mm. and if if I have permission to talk about COVID, I know that we don't like to now because we're somewhat past it, but you know when when COVID first hit. I remember it was like day 10 or day 15. I just started crying in my, right here, and I was so uncomfortable. And I remember telling a friend, you know, two weeks ago, I was so comfortable where I was. And then that uncomfortableness lasted for a long, long time. And this friend spoke life into me, and he said, Scott, you have to live in the tension, and this is why. If you don't, you will never, and I have it written on my board. And, and what, what he, that board always reminds me is that if I want to grow and become a better version of myself tomorrow than I am today, I have to live within the tension. Because within the tension is where muscles are made, right? You know, you you can't grow a muscle. You can't get stronger unless there's tension put on it. And that's essentially what he was saying to me at a soul level, that, that you have to live within that tension. Don't let go of it. Don't try to run from it. And that, I think that is what changed my leadership during COVID and probably changed my leadership for the rest of my life. Um, in, that, in that I have to stay in the tension, don't run from it. Because you want to run, it's uncomfortable. Because you want an answer, like the, what you were describing here, you want an answer right now just so we can move on. Right, yeah. but if you live in the tension, it may take two weeks for that team and Gabon to, to get through that and to learn as a team how we work better. And as the leader, as the overall leader, you have to lead them in that, and not rush through it. And I think that's where Jesus was so masterful. He would—I mean—he would just let people sit in that tension. I mean, when Peter denied Jesus three times, he could have immediately after the first one been like, "Are you serious, bro? Like, you really just like—I—I I know that you denied me." And he could say it in front of everybody if he wanted to, but he didn't. He let Peter sit in that tension, and then i i still wish that i was in the room or in the open space when jesus confronted peter and said do you love me right i wish i could have been like peter i have more questions (laughs) after you're done with jesus like what was it like for you you know what was that tension like after you denied jesus the first time but to sit in that is really important because that's where that's where we grow as, as leaders.
2: Yeah, I think I, you know I would add to that, the allowing your followers to fail is also extremely important. And if you're trying to either save them to save your own view of your boss, looking <laughs> at you, you don't allow your followers to fail, then you're not going to, able to survive that very long because you're going to end up doing everything and you will have no followers because you don't need them Mm. because you do everything so allowing them to fail and the other aspect about this living in the tension that i think i would like to add here is this concept of encouraging disagreement Mm. often as leaders we want to have everybody get along or we want to just squelch everything so well they don't really get along but at least they're not talking about it they're doing their job i'm managing them but to allow that disagreement and then manage it, if you will, guide it, maybe manage isn't the right word, guide it, direct it, Um, kind of come around it and help shape it, how that disagreement happens, that's what leaders do. And that grows people, because after all, leaders should be growing people, not just accomplishing tasks.
1: Yeah, I could tell you thought that way earlier when you talked about you know walking into a room and saying, all right, here's the problem, look, I wanna hear from you guys. I think it's really nice when a leader clarifies what they expect in like a conversation or a meeting. Mm-hmm. I, I've been in rooms where a leader comes in and they bring an idea and they're super excited about it and they say, what do you think? And I know for a fact, it will not go well if you don't agree. Like it, mm-hmm. you will be the ultimate yeah. buzzkill in that meeting. No one's expecting it. And like 70% of the room will champion it and 30% of the room won't talk. Because they're not going to, no one wants to be that person. And they know that they're not wanted Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. And so I think that clarity from a leader on, you know, hey, I'm bringing this to the table. Like, if you've already decided and you're putting it in place, don't come in and say, what do you guys think? You know, like, should we do this? Oh, but we're already doing it. You know, Mm. no one wants to be that person that it's 90% there. And it's like, here's a chance to give the kill shot. But But just that clarity is really good.
0: Before we get to one last point, Joanna, I have a question for you. Yes. So in your family, in your family dynamics, how do you let each other fail? Either you let Kier fail or you let the kids fail. How, how do you personally let that, let that happen? How hard is that for you to, to let happen, to watch other people fail and let them do it so that there can be a learning experience on the back end?
3: Great question. Uh, as our, So Kira and I have two awesome teenagers that are 19 and 17. And as they have grown and made more and more of their own choices, that has been something as parents that we have wanted them to develop their own strategy for making choices. And should I do this? Should I not do this? And um, I think on the failing part, We now that our kids are the age that they are, and and our son is in college and just came home for the summer, there's certain um, aspects that we need to be a lot, we are a lot less hands-on in what he decides to do. And if he committed to something and was late or whatever, that's on him and totally not on us. And the kind of adulting idea is a step-by-step process. And we've heard from other um, older, wiser mentor um, friends that are parents of maybe empty nesters and have been down and are past our season, uh, which is as a leader of our family, I highly recommend everybody has a mentor leader person who is a season ahead of them, whether that's spiritually, whether that's in parenting, whether that's in in their job super, super helpful uh, to have somebody who's who's done this before, but we've had others say to us, Yes, like let them fail, and that will that's the way that they can develop and I was just using this illustration uh, with our son Luke the other day of the cocoon and the the little um chrysalis inside the cocoon and they have to struggle to get out and that they form their muscles and their wings and but if i a parent want to intervene and just rip open that cocoon because oh it looks like you're struggling a little bit well that's that's the worst way to lead but the fail is all a part of the process
0: Well, you've made it sound super easy as a parent. So you've had no tension. You haven't lived in any tension of that at all. It's been super easy as a parent for you just to let them fail and and just sit back and be like, hey, this is great for you. Like, you're going to grow and I'm just going to let you do it. Man, Luke, I'm glad you're failing. Is that how it's been for you? Uh,
3: No, but literally, I just had a conversation maybe yesterday saying, Dad and I are okay if you fail. And he sort of chuckled and then sort of looked at me and said, really you're okay if i yes luke this is part and i believe it was dr henry cloud a phenomenal christian psychologist who's written a whole bunch of books he is phenomenal thank you jordy and he has written a whole bunch of books and one of them when it comes to whether it's parenting or mentoring or allowing others to fail and as leaders we also have to allow because honestly when it's when we struggle When we fail, at least for me, that's, and when we live in that tension, that's when we grow the most. So who doesn't want to grow a lot? If you don't want to grow a lot, stay in your little comfort zone and never leave your little cocoon. But if you really want to grow and really want to spiritually deepen your walk and become emotionally healthy, also a great book by Pete Gazero, emotionally healthy, he's got spirituality, he's got emotionally healthy leadership, a whole bunch of things. Podcast galore for him, from him as well. But if we are to be emotionally mature Christians, we have to accept the struggle. Now, mind you, on the SDI, I am the least, uh, I don't like conflict, so it, this is not easy for me to say, but accepting the struggle and letting our kids fail is, is a good thing. That's good.
0: Thank you. Thanks for going there with us.
1: And for anyone wondering, SDI is a personality inventory, one of many. Last question. Um, Kier, you used language of high context versus low context leadership. I actually had no idea what that meant. And so I'd love to just hear kind of your
2: thoughts on that. It certainly impacts cross-cultural leading, uh, this concept of high context and low context. So you think of a conversation, if it requires, or you think, in your culture that you should introduce the conversation to set the context, that's very American and that's very low context. I'm speaking directly and I'm saying it clearly and I'm saying it obviously, and maybe even things that you already knew. And I knew you knew them, but I'm just repeating them. High context is not that. High context is saying, yeah, I think it's going to be fine. And somehow that means a bunch of other things that you would interpret because you're an adult, so you know how to interpret these things, whereas kids would not. And so they, they require direct speaking because they're children. And you can see how that would be a conflict in the way that we tend to lead as Americans is very direct, very clear communication. We want to lay it all out there. We want to say it. And that means that the people I'm leading cross-culturally, at least in a lot of Africa, would think that I'm speaking to them like they're children. Hmm. They're not children. I think I'm speaking to them like adults because that's what we do, but they're receiving it as if I'm treating them like children. So leading is also having an understanding of what your followers think a leader should do. And how they should speak. And how
0: they should speak. And Paul actually led this way. A lot of confusion with uh, some of his writings are because of high context, low context um, relationships. So if you look at some of his letters like to Timothy, He had very high contacts with Timothy. He was very, very close with Timothy. So there were a lot of things that he didn't have to explain in this super, you know, elaborate because he, all he had to say was a couple words and Timothy knew exactly what he was talking about. Well, that's confusing for us today in America because we don't know what that relationship was like. So there's a lot of things lost because of that high-context relationship. where well, there's other letters that Paul wrote that were very low-context. He had no relationship with the people that he was writing yeah, to. Yeah, like Romans, right. very specific. Very specific, very detail-oriented. And so he, he spelled it all out. And, and that, that's, that's kind of what you're talking about.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it does apply to when you're looking at building a team. Mm-hmm. You may take some people on your team as, as you're leading that you know well. And it doesn't require even words. It's just a look or an eye gesture or something. And they know what you're thinking. Mm -hmm. But there are other people on your team that may be new to your team. And when you do those high context things, they're excluded. And they're really not on the team. So understanding, oh, this is a low context moment. They're a new person. Whether that's in uh, new to a residency in my world of of, of residents, the new ones they don't they don't know what the context is. They don't know what you're you do at your institution, so explaining those things, or whether that's in a in in a business, regardless of where you are, it's recognizing that you're going to interact differently with different people. Like your spouse when you're first married, requires probably a fair bit of explanation about why you do what you do. You think everybody does it? You're probably wrong. Not everybody does. That's just your family. But then after you've been married 15, 20, 25 years, you probably just look at each other and you know what the other person's thinking. You know what they're going to say. They don't even have to say it. So sometimes you see these older couples sitting and they don't even talk as if they're not communicating. I think they're actually communicating. They just don't need to talk. That's very
0: interesting. If,
1: If I had to go out on a limb, I would assume that countries that value relationship over things like wealth and efficiency tend to have more of a kind of high-context communication But countries who value efficiency and organizational leadership, things like that, are more prone to spell out and talk clearly because information and details matter so much, and relationship takes a back seat. Would, is that true? Or
2: absolutely, you're on a very thick limb that you went out on Good. there. It's yeah. really strong footing. You're on a branch. <laughs> yeah, you're on a branch there. That's absolutely true. That that's how it tends to play out exactly. Yeah.
1: and that would ex- that would explain just coming from a country like the United States into a. You know, more third world kind of context in some settings, not all of Africa, but that you would encounter that.
2: Absolutely.
0: Well, Joanna, thank you for joining us. And Kier, thank you for joining us too. Talking about leadership in a cross cultural context is really important. It's really, I and mean, we, we experience that every single day in wherever we're at here in the United States or across the world. So this is really important. Really great information too. Great insight, great stories. Thanks for. Being here with us and I just want to say thank you for being my friend we've had a great friendship with you guys over the years and we love you guys we love your kids and we love PAX. and if you want more information on PAX, you can go to PAACS dot net net mm-hmm. and uh, get more information there we'll also have that in the notes here um, but thank you for, for our listeners as well Jordy Wright for joining Absolutely. us and, and supporting us and don't forget email us about that coffee we want to give away two bags for of sure. coffee this month right
1: Yeah, email us your complaints, your feedback. Email Scott. Yeah. All right,
0: guys and ladies, have a great month. We'll see you next month.
1: Bye.